Hello, this is Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, your host on the Surgical Spirit Podcast, and today's guest is Asad Hemir. He's a London entrepreneur and the founder of Click and Noli, and he's um, uh, he trained as an optometrist uh, because it was a family tradition, and but his real passion, his real passion, is in uh, technology and particularly mobile phones. Um, uh, He's an interesting chap, um, as you'll uh, gather. Um, he's been in, involved in business from um, a young age, and he's always been in that um, spirit of of, of hustling, um, and also being in the middle of everything, so to speak. Um, I really enjoyed it. I know you will too. So if you are interested in business and entrepreneurship, please listen tune in and i'm looking forward to your comments enjoy hello asad how are you yeah i'm good how are you yeah i'm, I'm very well so my name is Haider, which means lion in arabic oh, i'm lion as well and asad is is lion in arabic as why well. are there so many names in arabic well, that see, mean lion yeah because i mean at the end of the day you've got a majestic lion you've got an angry lion you've got a horny lion You've got a uh, scruffy lion. So which one am I? Assad is the majestic lion. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I want to be the horny one, man. Whereas, whereas Hyder <laughs> is the kind of prodded lion that's like angry and right. Yeah. So I was always wondered that, like, why there's so many Arabic names that. Well, you know, we are a bit pedantic, aren't we, when it comes to words and yeah. sort of names and and. Um, Man, Arabic was, was fucking hard when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, and the pressure is on because you're like Iraqi yeah. and Arabic. How many languages do you know? English. Just English now. <laughs> but you're fluent, right? You're fluent in Arabic. In English, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean, English and Arabic, that's it really. I did French um, as a... Um, as in, swear words in, in university. Actually, in, swear words, I have a lot of swear words in, in, uh, in Pakistani. What was it? <laughs> uh, Urdu, yeah. Urdu. Urdu, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. They come in useful, right? Yeah, yeah, they come in useful, you know, in school. I've never used it elsewhere, though. Right. Hey, I'm, I'm supposed to be introducing <laughs> you. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to be on this. Great, it's lovely. Been a long time coming. Definitely, definitely. I mean, we met uh, a few years ago at this sort of social entrepreneur yeah. kind of event. Did, did you enjoy that event? I thought it was okay. You know, yeah. It's good. It's good. I mean, um, the audience is kind of professional. So yeah. I always like that kind of event where able to give back to entrepreneurs or give back to people that are thinking about going into entrepreneurship. So yeah, it's good. always good to share insight. Yeah. Yeah. Did you learn anything from that event? Did I learn anything from that event? I, I'd say um, what I did learn was that um, people have a misconception of entrepreneurship. You know, they see the kind of like Facebooks and, you know, the kind of big tech companies and, you know, have these dreams about wanting to create one of those. And I think, yeah, that's what I kind of learn is that there's a big gap between where you start and trying to get there. Of course, people can have dreams, but you've got to start in reality. Um, so it takes a long time, does it? Or? Takes a long time. I mean, I've been in business for eleven years. Uh, started when I was twenty-two, um, actually, as a fresh young boy from university. Um, so I actually worked worked for about nine months as an optometrist. So I did my degree in optometry. Um, my mum 
my family have a we, we, we've got 45 optometrists in our family and so naturally the family were like go and do optometry um, and to be honest to please my mum I was like okay I'm going to continue the course and uh, I actually worked with her for like nine months uh, which was amazing so you have your pre-registration year probably quite similar to the medical mm. profession I worked with her for nine months and it was amazing and then I said to mum I'm going to go into telecoms what happened was actually my third year of university um, I saw the iPhone launch and I was buying and selling phones at university so that's how I kind of got my my hustle I guess um, but also like seeing mum and dad and they had businesses no, no one really made money because we all came here as like refugees right and it was just all like everyone you know the whole family kind of grouped together and stuff so but seeing them hustle and then like at uni and then seeing the iPhone I was like okay this industry is gonna explode and I always had this love for tech so I think in our house we had tech from a young age so from um, I still remember like you know do you remember the um, ZX Spectrum yeah. Com Commodore 64 yeah um, so we had that and then I had Nintendo NES so dad dad was an electrical engineer mm. so so he'd always really encouraged like um, like computers and stuff like that but then also like we would build computers together and like the, if the computer had a problem we'd open it up and you know look at the chipset inside so I always had a, like a love for like tech and like opening stuff up and um, and I think that way where those kinds of things in your childhood and in your upbringing really playing back and for me like naturally I went into technology so so it was like a detour that you went into sort of optometry but really the passion was always into tech yeah I mean like look my mum said to me look she I think she always knew in her heart of hearts that you're not gonna this boy's not gonna do like optometry um but mum and dad both said, look, as a, as a career, um, it's always something to fall back on. Because at the time, you could earn 50, 60K being an optometrist. Yeah, locuming, you know, 250 a day, 300s on weekends. And, you know, looking at my cousins at the time, they were living a good life, you know. Yeah. Had a BMW M3 and, you know, like, that was my perception of, of what a good life was. And so it, I think it's, it was actually a good career choice because I think yeah, everything happens for a reason right yeah. um, so if I hadn't have done that then I probably wouldn't have done the tech business I probably would have met my missus you know who I met on the course um, so look you know all, yeah, all's well course. Well. optometry course yeah yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah so I had to keep it in the family right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to be an optometrist <laughs> that's yeah. the rule of the Osaria family but so it was this kind of um, uh, entrepreneurship uh, hustling yeah uh, also you wanted a bit of safety there but I think I think the medical profession teaches you a lot of skills mm. like look I'm not I'm not a doctor obviously but like so as an optometrist like when you're with people different ages different cultures like you know you're seeing 20 people in a day it's fast paced it's you know um, you have to deal with people's emotions and you know this guy, these are like soft skills that you need in business whether you're managing it's people essential, you know these sort of emotional intelligence essentially and they keep banging on about it yeah. emotional intelligence is probably the most important skill to have in business yeah and then like you go and work in like you know BNP areas and like Gravesend and <laughs> places like that what and was that, that like for you? It, it's interesting because like you're clearly the only Asian person they've seen in months yeah <laughs> so, so it, yeah you get a lot of like dumb questions like you know um you know, and also I was young at that time. I was twenty-two, so you almost were you like rebellious against that kind of 
um, you know, sort of white inquisition? I mean, I went to public school in oh, right. in, yeah. in Harrow, and yeah. I mean, in, it's funny. Like in our in our area, it's all Gujaratis, yeah. so all Indians. So in our class, I remember we had um, probably ninety percent was Indian. Wow. And then we had five. No, it's probably six percent white, and then yeah, the remainder was was everything else. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, like culture. Like you're born in London, man. You just like yeah. you, it's a hot pot of culture, right? Um, I think it's it's seeing that first taste of outside London though it's quite interesting. What, what was that? A bit like of a shock, you? right? Really? Like, yeah, because yeah, like you'd like why why are you speaking to me any different? Like you know you know because once you're in London you don't appreciate what it's like outside London. It's actually when I bought I bought business in Newcastle about 2011. That's when you really realise when you spend a considerable amount of time outside London how much London is a bubble and how other areas of the UK are like completely segregated from culture and like, you know, they just haven't seen people of colour in, in many of these places. And it's and then their perception of everything is what they see on TV. And yeah. that's why you tend to get all the immigration stories. And um, so, yeah, it's interesting, man. It's definitely interesting. What happened? Tell us what happened when you were... You know, when these things happen, you know, you bought that business in, in, in Newcastle. What was the challenges there? Um, so we, we bought a very successful business. Mm. So step one was making it better. Um, this, I, this was optometry or, or No, this is telecoms. Yeah, this is telecoms. Yeah, yeah. So um, making it better. Um, but I, I loved it, like going up there. Like we and the business wasn't in Newcastle City Centre, it was in the kind of market towns. And then you go to these places and like the unemployment's through the roof, drug problems, like um, but it's very similar to London. So what I figured out about telecoms is that the places to target, the places that have the most money, uh, or the ones that spend the most money on their mobile phones, is actually the low socioeconomic areas. So like you know, for us, our most profitable areas are in are in um, Tottenham, Brixton, low socioeconomic profile, high density population. These guys pay for their phone bills before they pay their rent. And actually, there's a lot of similarities in these market towns. They like really depended on their technology. You know, it was really important for them. It was a way of connecting with other people. And obviously, like things there are a bit more kind of spread out. Um, so. We, we tactically picked those areas, you know, knowing that, um, yes, they are lower socioeconomic profile, but they really do depend on their tech. Um, I think in terms of people, though, like the team we inherited was amazing. Um, I think just going into those areas, you do you do get those looks and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and they changed or they stayed kind of within their um, mindset of... of uh of, uh, I mean, I don't want to use the word racism, but, you know, not not accommodating. I think team-wise, no one was like that. Yeah. So everyone was quite worldly. Because I think young people, they go to Newcastle City Centre, yeah. they go back out again. So I don't, I don't think there was anything, anyone like that from the team perspective. Um, but, yeah, I mean, because I was kind of in and out of those towns, there wasn't really... I didn't really feel it much more than that, to be honest. So What I were your biggest challenges then when, when, when you bought that business? Integration, because you've got different cultures. So mm. I had my current business, that business, trying to integrate the two together. Mm. Uh, you've got different salary levels, so Newcastle versus London, bonuses, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's the biggest thing. That was my first acquisition of a business. So it's definitely a good process to go through. When I mean, you acquire a business, what it needs, you've got like 2P, you've got, you know, um, cultures, 
you know, so it took a good year to like, you know, bridge it all together and bring it all together. Um, we actually ended up selling it uh, 18 months ago. Um, so, but we made, we made sure that we bought it at the right price. I think the one challenge that I found was retail started to collapse, like mid 2000, 2010s. Um, so, and especially in those kinds of areas, it got even worse, you know, high streets emptied. I mean, you only got to look on Google and type in the high street and you'll see how many shops are empty and stuff. So that was one challenge for sure. Um, but I think with, with any business, you just got to keep your finger on the pulse. You know, this whole passive income thing, I just don't, don't believe in it. Personally, with me, I have to know what I'm investing in. And I've, I've had my fingers burnt in the past where I've not invested in stuff that I don't know. And um, like now I just invest in my area. So for me, it's telecoms, tech, that's it. Um, so yeah, I think, but you know, acquiring business is amazing, like amazing journey. You've got to do your due diligence, know what you're buying. Um, but we did okay out of that actually. We bought the right price, well, bought slightly above because we really wanted the business. It was profitable for that period and we sold at a good price. So actually net net, it was it was a good venture for us. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. and and, and um do you still practice in, in optometry? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually funny. So I did my degree. I worked as a locum. Um, and then whilst I was working as a locum, I was writing my business plan. And then I approached O2 at the time. And I still remember I was 22, walked in. I hadn't slept the night before. I had an interview. Walked in and I had a 100-page document. So I'd written because I'd gone on Google. Yahoo it was at the time. It wasn't Google. And typed in. I had to write a business plan. And I got a format. And I did a whole business analysis. I bought all these reports. And, and at that age, like, you're super passionate. want to impress. And, and they just, like, and I, I literally didn't sleep the night before. And I was, like, in the morning, I was dining Red Bulls and stuff. And I think they were just shocked by the work that I'd put in. And to be honest, I think I totally, like, screwed up the interview. But what I had was that passion, yeah. yeah? And I had the passion for technology, like I wanted to make it happen. I think everyone else that was a partner at the time was quite old, or well, not old, but like older. And I was 22 and I think they took a chance on me. Um, but yeah, I think it paid off. Like I was, you know, that time I was, I was a real hustler. Like, you know, you, it kind of continued from uni all the way through. But I, that, that I got off my, my parents, man. Parents and family as well. You know, you live in an extended Indian family, you're always around people. You always have to like... It's a lot of competition. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're always competing, yeah. essentially. Yeah, grades and you know, what have and you. People get one up on you and then you think, fuck, no, I've, I've got to get them back here. Yeah. And it's like that constant yeah. competitive edge. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I think I think for me as well, like, because the family didn't do so well, like, um, not, not do so well, that's probably unfair on my parents. They were unlucky in a number of ways. Um... Like, I had that chip on my shoulder that I wanted to, like... Like, I wanted to make a success, yeah? And you knew the answers. Yeah. And maybe they didn't listen to you as well. You yeah, my mum... Dad, mom, didn't you... Well, you could do this. Yeah. Mum, you can do that. And they're like, no, no, no. I and still remember I used to go to my mum's business and tell them, you, you should do branding like this and you should do that. And, like, that age, like, I didn't really know. But I think... I think... Yeah, I hadn't done any studies on branding or business. I had not done any MBA or anything like that. It's just all been like seeing how other people do it. But I think what I am good at is spotting an opportunity um, and going deep. Like that's one thing I've stuck to is going deep in my field. Um, but yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. It's it's sort of having that passion and um, 
having a chip on your shoulder is great. <laughs> yeah. It fucking works. Yeah, you've got to do it, man. you, you got to do it. And you know what? Other people buy into it, right? And I remember when I joined as a partner, there was a guy that worked for O2 that took me under his wing. And we, um, we had the most iPhones out of any, any partner in the country. And if you had iPhones, you basically had money. Yeah, because at that time, people would queue up to get an iPhone. This is 2008, it was the iPhone 3G. Um, and yeah, like you get people believing in you. On the other hand, like you get people that are like, they don't trust you because you're aging, stuff like that. And you just got to prove them wrong. How did you deal with that? Did you just sort of... It was uh, tough, man. That yeah. was really tough, to be honest. Like, because the problem with being that young and doing entrepreneurship, you have lots of ideas and you don't have focus. And obviously with age, you start to become more focused, um, but you want to do 20 things at once and you can't do it. That's one thing I've learned. You can't do more than two things at once, you know, like it's, it's physically not possible, mentally not possible. Someone told you to read and watch TV. It's not possible, right? Um, but at a young age, you think you can do everything. Um, and then what you tend to do, you start people in corporate life, lay little traps for you and you get things wrong you let people down and then you lose confidence in people so i think you learn through those processes to play the game and that was the biggest thing i learned is like how to play the game in corporate life which at a young age like when people are trying to like put you down um yeah i mean um it's tough but you just gotta fight through and just like you know did you get really down at sort of at some stage and you're not, not at that point, because I was riding a wave, yeah. right? So yeah. we went from starting the business to getting to 40 million turnover in five years. Wow. Yeah. So, and at 27, I was employing 200 people. Wow. Yeah. And me as the MD as well. So I was running it. And then I had sales directors, which were like double my age, yeah. you know, like early 50s and having to manage them. That was hard because they are like super sophisticated running companies, running, you know, being part of big, cor- big corporates. Um, and then there's me who just, you know, doesn't have that same level of experience. Um, so I think that that was great. That whole journey was amazing. Yeah. Then I had a bit of a business failure. Yeah. What in my happened? next business. So I started a business in the eyewear game um, and a number of reasons, number of problems like, you know, not going to business with the right people. Um, or, um, you know, not getting the business plan right, overthinking things. I mean, a, bit, a big part of it actually was having money. So when I started this first business, I had no money. So you have to like make it happen, right? I still remember my first VAT quarter, I had underestimated the amount of VAT and I had to borrow 10,000 pounds from my dad, which at that time was a lot of money, right? But when you don't have money, you like work your damnness to make it, right? You create magic from nowhere because you're just thinking laterally. Whereas when you have money, you just say, oh, bring the best person in to do that. Bring this person in to do that. You'll do this. You'll invest and invest and invest and one day it will come. And actually you get you get comfortable and before you know it, you've spent millions of pounds and got no return. So, you know, another learning for, for, for me from that business failure was just like, don't have money. 
you know, keep yourself lean. You know, you hear about all these startup businesses raising five million pound funds yeah. and yeah. 10 million pound funds. You speak to so many of these founders, how quickly they burn through the money. They get the funding round, nice office comes through, you know, big team, um, you know, PAs, you know, like Soho location. So one thing, you know, when I show you later our office, it is lean. Like I, from now on, anything I do is about keeping things commercially lean. If you know, we're making money, let's reinvest it in other stuff. Let's not keep money in the business so that, you know, the business always has a challenge with money because it creates that friction and that tension. And from that tension, you get that magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that failure was tough, though. That was really tough. Coming back to your point around mental health and stuff like that, because when you're you not like tough, I mean, how, how was it tough for you? I've never failed. I hadn't yeah. failed up until that point, and I'd failed then, and I'd lost my kids' money, and I'd lost money that I had worked so hard the the years before to make, and also because I could not come from money, like to then make that money, and I feel like I let everyone down, you know, um, and it took me, I'd say, seven to eight months to like properly accept it, um, and. Um, but then I like then you slowly realize that um, like what you've done wrong mm-hmm. and I think you have to like properly analyze that um, and I think in this in this country the problem is there isn't that same culture that there are in other countries around failure and I, I don't really believe in like you should fail and you hear all this stuff like you have to fail and I don't think failure is good for anyone right but I think um, the learnings from that, like if we look at our Noli business and look at anything else we're doing now, like all those learnings are there and that fear is there, yeah? And that tension is there that, and, and it's made me hard as granite to be honest, like, you know, having gone through that process that I'm not gonna let anything um, like that ever happen again. And I will still make mistakes for sure, right? Mm-hmm. But I think in business, what I've learned through that as well is don't take the risk yourself. Mm. Um, you know, um, don't don't just think you're alone. Go and speak to your network. There's always people out there that have done it before. Bring those people in, get that advice, you know, build that network. Um, you know, when you're investing in a business, make sure you're always getting that return, you know, on day one. Don't invest for return in 18 months. Don't believe all the hype of the VC world and all that. Even if you look at now the VC world, there's so much pressure for investors to deliver profitability. It's the only reason why now I saw Amazon yesterday is a net income of 3.2 billion mm. for years and years an unprofitable business because the financial and the VC world was quite happy for it to continue growing. But it's got to a point now where like, where's the money going to come from? Profitability going to come from? So you have to make a financially feasible business, and that should be coming from day one. Mm. Of course, you may need to invest in certain things to make that business. But, you know, you have to be profitable. What got you out of that rut, you know, after seven, eight months? Um, What was the tipping point? I think I had, well, I had a business which I was working on, which was Noli. So I had to. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was was the first thing. Um, I think family, family and wanting to, the same thing that, the same desire I had when I started, that same desire, like... I actually went on holiday and like it made me realize just being around the kids and 
you know, and, and they're at the age where my daughter's 10, my son's seven. So we've got private school and, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, Jesus, you look up the prices of everything. You're like, I need to like make some money. Um, so I think the financial kind of element of it as well. Um, and then the final bit was I actually realized what I'm good at and what I enjoy. And I know I'm really good in the telecoms and tech industry. I know all my contacts and my industry experience and everything is there. Um, so not doing anything outside of that. And I know I'm good at doing really cool stuff um, and executing. So I, I feel I'm a, a bit... You're a fashionable guy, you know. <laughs> You're wearing very fashionable lenses and, and you know, clothes. And yeah, you got, you got fashion sense, mate. But I think in any entrepreneur, you have to have that blend of create, creating and being visionary, uh, execution and ref- refining. So once you execute, being able to like, you know, continuously improve, whether it's your costs, your revenue, mm. whatever it is. And I, I feel I've got that blend of it. I prefer to do the creative bit, but I'm not afraid to do the other bits. And you should dabble in everything, really. You, you do, know, you, know, you, you do. You, know, you do need to know the, the whole system. I mean, Click, which is the um, B2B sustainable technology business that we're doing, we're doing the selling to the marketing, to the operations, to everything, you know? Me and my partner, uh, Arif Hussain, um, we're doing everything, you know, and what that gives you, you just like, you learn everything as well. Like I've been, so for Noli, I've been on the front line in China. I've been to China 13 times. I've learned the entire supply chain side of things, met the factories, you know, been on that front line, you know, I've never done product, I'm not an engineer, but I actually know a lot more than a lot of engineers now when it comes to making stuff. Um, you have to just do everything like you have to like and it's the only way you're going to learn it's the only way like you know now I can sit down with my retailers and talk with passion and knowledge about how that stuff works you know what's possible what's not possible Um, so I yeah it's you have to do everything how do you stay kind of um, uh, sane or stay away from burnout with all this sort of stuff going on so I work the way I like to work and I've realized how I like to work. So um, I like to get in at 10 o'clock. So I don't, I, I'll wake up and I have no alarm. <laughs> so, so I wake up whatever time I want, pretty much. And I get in for 10 and, um, and then I'll go on my walks. I'll get like, go to nice places for food and stuff like that. And for me, it gives me that creative time, but it also gives me that freedom in my mind um, to just, chill out and relax um i work Monday to friday i don't take days off during the week and then weekends are like completely decompress so i try and like just stay keep away from work and everything i think the other bit of it is doing stuff you love because if you're doing stuff you love then you're not you're not at work you're playing it's that infinite energy that 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 you can tap into yeah I, i mean i feel like a child at the moment in a sense of work like i love what i'm doing because and I didn't love what I was doing in the business that failed and that's probably why it failed to be honest because I didn't you know wasn't enjoying it and I'm not able to then be the best at that particular job people are genuinely I feel they're excited about what I'm doing right now because they can see my passion come through in my whether it's in my writing style or whether it's in the content I create or the products that I produce and like so Noli Noli's like I used to love Lego as a child So I wanted to create a Lego-like playful technology brand. And that's what Noli is. And, 
and every day and every product that we do and everything we're doing is hard because we're making and creating stuff that's like the industry has not seen before. Um, but I love it. And I think that's really key to, um, to your mental well-being as a, as a business person. Um, not getting too focused on profit and, you know, all the kind of hard numbers. Big, big believer that profit will pop out. You do need to always be commercial and always be thinking about bottom line and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that should not be your driver. On my table, I have this um, placard that just says, do epic shit. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, got Muhammad Ali picture and a little bit. There were things like that. But just like, you know, things that um, it's important to have all these small things. And I think also like at work, like really enjoying it. So that, that play culture we try and create. So we'll do the, you know, once a month nights out and drinks for the team and, um, you know, like even just the environment we're in, we're obviously here, you got like, you know, picking the right environment, you know, co-working space that we're in in Fora, which has like, you know, snacks that change out four times a day and they got coffee on tap and drinks on tap. And, um, I, and I think, you know, with that, it's really connecting with people. You got to like, you know, these are my friends, you know, and it's not just like work people. Um, so everyone's got equity in the business. Everyone's like financially driven and aligned with me in that sense. And, you know, I don't want to just create work, but I want to build friendships and network is, network is everything, as you know. Yeah, I mean, life's too short. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. you know, and, 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 and you know, there, there's a lot of pain and suffering out there. Yeah. It doesn't have to creep into work, to the yeah. workplace. Yeah. You know, it, it, it can be literally whatever fantasy you can create, you know, you want to create. Yeah. Within that um, sphere. Yeah. I mean, um, they do like yoga. Yeah. So once a week they do yoga. Um, I've tried it. I'm not flexible enough. <laughs> but, um, but I do like mindfulness. So I, I'm doing like calm and stuff like that. When I, and, and there will be times where you feel like today, just before we came into this podcast, there's just so much going on. And I think you learn to like become better at dealing with that stuff. Um, so I found calm has been quite good with that. So when I do, I do, I don't do it every day, but I'll do like two, three times a week. I'll do a little bit of meditation. Um, and then the intermittent fasting side of things works as well. Okay. And I've noticed like, as I've got older, I'm starting to look after my health more, yeah. um, just naturally. And a big thing there is food, man. Just like, got to watch what you eat. I'm trying to like more, more kind of oily fish and, yeah. uh, don't know if I'll go the full vegan yet. Uh, I do want to, everyone in the business, every single person in my office is a vegan. The pressure is on. Yeah. So, and uh, it's a challenge with restaurants, man. <laughs> <laughs> trying yeah. to find well actually there's a lot of vegan restaurants around here but uh, I mean why why do you think sort of vegans the uh, the way forward I think I think there's a number of things um, it's obviously caught a cultural trend now okay so it's in social media it's in the press I think the whole David David Attenborough effect of climate change there was the program on Netflix um Game Changers one. Okay. Um, it's worth watching that one if you guys haven't. Um, so I think there's just this movement. And then once your mates do it, once you get those early adopters doing it, yeah. they're on Instagram, they're doing vegan, they're talking about how good they look and how, you know, how they feel. And you see Lewis Hamilton and all yeah. these guys. Then all of a sudden, um, you want to be a cool kid, right? So I think <laughs> part, part of it is 
culture and yeah. wanting to be cool. But I think also part of it is you start to do it, and I see it with people. They lose weight. They feel amazing. Yeah. You know, yes, they don't have energy at like four o'clock in the afternoon because they're not getting their iron in or whatever. But but you can get their supplements, right? Okay, um, that's interesting. But yeah, I want to lose about four kilos, so that's probably why. Well, short not... short term, that's why I want to do it. Fair enough. Fair enough. And talking about the environment, I mean, you're quite passionate about um, electronic waste in this yes. world. Yes. So Click is uh, our new venture, and Click is all around trying to create a sustainable technology world for for businesses. And having worked in, te- I mean, I've sold over a million phones uh, over the years, and the environmental impact of it I never considered. And it's just because of like my age at the time, I was trying to make money and all that kind of stuff. And then like. It's actually, I got a little bit older and it came to a point where I, like now my daughter's asking for a phone. Yeah, because she's now 10. And she's, she says she's the only one in the class that doesn't have a phone. And so that was part of it. Like it was, oh my God, like, you know, in, you know, my daughter needs a phone. You're worried about social media and stuff like that. Started looking into the whole e-waste side of things from there. And you realize how much waste comes from technology. It's actually just an untold story like completely untold. There's so much focus on whether it's beef or water bottles or whatever it is. But electronic waste is the fastest growing category of waste in the world. Um, It actually accounts for 80% of the most toxic waste in the UK. The UK is the worst country in the world when it comes to electronic waste. And no one's talking about it. And no one has a solution for it. And all the tech companies, all they talk about is for you to buy more and more new tech. And where it came full circle for me, having sold every single iPhone since inception, actually since iPhone 3G, there was queues. Every single iPhone, there was queues. And it, those queues got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was iPhone 5, I had big queues, and iPhone 6, literally overnight, no queues. And what's happened over the years is the consumers got wiser to the tech specs that are in these phones. They're not believing the hype around the Apple launches and all that kind of stuff. So now, between the iPhone X and the iPhone 11, there really isn't that much tech innovation. So te- um, Click, which is my business, what we're trying to encourage is for businesses especially, for them to consider, instead of buying new tech, buy reused tech. With the existing tech, if you're not using it, um, you know, you obviously paid for it, there's cash sitting there, you know, let's get, some, get you some value for that. Um, but also with your technology, make sure you're buying it smart, so financing it well. Um, we're also going into reused accessories as well. Um, so thinking about how do we reduce the carbon footprint of businesses? And we believe that if we start with business, that's going to have a trickle down effect to consumers. So I'm really passionate about it because like, I'm a, I'm, I feel like I'm a reformed technologist in a way. Um, I've kind of, you know, the pennies dropped for me in terms of like, you know, I'm clearly, you know, I've, only, you know, I've sold a million phones, sounds like a lot, but you know, it's actually only a small, uh, drop in the ocean when it comes to tech but I believe that what we're doing our articulation of it and we got we we're in Scientific American uh, yesterday um, you know amazing so privileged to to be in there our articulation for it is quite unique um, and I think with our whole business proposition we'll be the first in the UK offering the circular model um, so a circular model is basically creating a model where instead of us just taking stuff from the environment, making it and then wasting it at the end, is actually to create that circularity. So we take, obviously use it, reuse it, reuse it again, try and get as many cycles out of it, repair it, 
and then you know maybe eventually it gets to waste but when it gets to waste creating products which are modular which is you know makes it easy to kind of pull them apart and stuff but yeah i'm hugely passionate about sustainability even now like you know my clothing i'm thinking about now instead of buying new stuff i want to buy reused stuff you know new pair of glasses i'm getting i'm getting a pair of kazals and you know again i want to buy it reuse and i i really think like with all these things you have to obviously i've started with tech but it's made me so much more environmentally conscious i'm challenging my missus like constantly buying clothes and like you know do you know the environmental impact fashion is having um so yeah it's a big big passion area for me and do you you know i mean you wrote in your article that you know the big companies aren't really they're not focusing on this no one's focusing on it i mean apple are probably the you'd expect them to be they're the market leader so they they on the one hand do some amazing work with their macbooks and the iphones and all that and then on the other hand they've got their airpods which are so disposable i mean have you had a pair of airpods yourself no so i've had three pairs i've lost all three pairs you know like i take them out of the come with a nice carry case you put them on you'll be at a coffee shop you leave the airpods on the table you take the carry case with you or it's in your pocket you just forget something's in your mind the phone call comes through you know and they run out of battery like crazy because it's only a very small lithium ion battery the amount of people that are losing airpods the amount of money apple's making off airpods and that disposability culture airpods can't be recycled you know you think the amount of waste that goes into that a lot of iphones can't be recycled a lot of macbooks can't be recycled so problem is with these companies they're conflicted on the one hand they're trying to encourage this yearly cycle of technology and for you to come and buy and go to the shows and you know all that kind of stuff and you know there's a whole industry being fed through this yearly cycle if all of a sudden that yearly cycle moved to like how cars were you know you buy a car every 5 10 years the industry would be screwed right mm. so there's a friction there where on the one hand they're trying to protect the environment there's a lot of greenwashing going on a lot of people just throwing money at things so Jeff Bezos came came out today and says i'm going to you know uh, give 7 billion towards climate change brilliant jeff but you know on the other hand your you know um with your staff you know there's all kinds of challenges in your warehouse um you know with your packaging is not eco-friendly so they these are the challenges the conflict between the business model and the environmental side of things and it's you know people like us the small guys the you know the innovators or not innovators but the startups that we can make the noise mm-hmm. um and more than anything i think we're real people right we're got stories we're we're part of this industry and i think that's why the press are kind of buying into what we're doing because we're young we're different we're coming at the market with fresh perspective we're not afraid to like you know be be a little bit controversial and i think you got to do that in business you can't play it safe all the social media algorithms are are tipped for you to be controversial you know if you're doing any content don't ever play it too safe mm. it just you know it won't get shared it won't get talked about i and and the younger generation probably is something that they're you know increasingly passionate about because they're the ones who are going to you know have you know have to uh, solve solve our problems essentially i read somewhere that 20% of fashion in the next 10 years is going to be second hand so 20% of the fashion industry will be second hand i mean it should be more than 50% really yeah eventually eventually mm-hmm. but i think the challenge with that is like it's getting over that would i wear someone else's clothes yeah and that younger generation gen z and those guys they're quite happy too because a there's the financial benefits cheaper yeah. you know b if it's washed and dry cleaned and all that 
what's the difference? And I'm yeah. saving the environment. But, you know, for me and you who've not really worn secondhand clothes or stuff like that, maybe, yeah. then it's a, it's a more of a challenge, right? Because you, yeah. you normally just go into shop and buy stuff. But we've got to accept it that, you know, that we do live in a, in a finite system. 100%. And eventually something's got to tip. 100%, man. I mean, yeah. we've seen like the storms and yeah. things like that recently. I mean, when I go to Hong Kong, the typhoons increasing in velocity. Climate change is here, man. It's not, you know. Climate change is here. Technology is here to stay as well. Mm-hmm. And it's only it's only going to get even more. Um, what what about the medical problem. field? What's your thoughts on on that? Yeah, I mean the medical field. We've got artificial intelligence coming in. Yeah. So that's totally going to disrupt the industry. Yeah. So in the next five to ten years, a doctor won't be a doctor like a doctor is today. But I'll give you this example. So at Christmas, I got flu, like really bad kind of chest infection and stuff, and I went on to push doctor. And twice they just fobbed me off. And I found the experience really impersonal. And in the end, I was like, okay, I'm, screw this. I'm just going to go and see it. That's something that you know, we can definitely talk about because I'm looking to go into the tech side of, of yeah. healthcare. Yeah. Um, and it is about experience. Yeah. It is about still having that human experience, yeah. but making it yeah. sustainable and relevant yeah. for the newer generation. Because yeah. the newer generation haven't experienced yeah. a kind of... You know the traditional healthcare, yeah. which is a human being is there, yeah. all knowing, all encompassing, but at the same time compassionate and caring, and, and you know, wanting th- to make a difference. Do you think that's where tech's going to go? It will almost do this job. So, like for example, for me, I just needed some antibiotics. So yeah, I think that so. would have been good. Yeah. But you know, with that, I called them, and I was disappointed because they didn't give me antibiotics. Yeah. So they were almost like, "Look, you're still day four or five into your infection. You're okay." Your, you know, your phlegm has gone from yellow to clear. Yeah. Um, uh, and they're like, you know, you're almost over your infections. There's no point in giving you antibiotics. But I went in with that preconception that I'm going to get antibiotics from these guys, and they didn't give it to me. Whereas with at least with a doctor, like face to face, I could probably like, you know, emotionally. Well, you know, put you're a bit still of kind of, you know, um, in your mid thirties, so you've experienced mm. the, you know, the doctor in the past. Oh, so, so you're saying that. So, so you were judging it according to your previous experience, whereas for the younger generation, they haven't experienced that. They haven't experienced it, yeah. So they, they're more That's accepting of that yeah. techno, you know, technological intervention. But do you think it's actually going to go the full way to AI? Yes. You do, yeah? yeah? It's just like people are so much more involved in their mobile phones. Yeah. You know, their life is the mobile phone. And you think people will trust that? Yeah, it's like they trust the mobile phones and they trust Google and they trust yeah. Amazon and they trust... Wow. Do you know what I mean? It's mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I personally, me, like having had that experience, I don't think I can... Now, I'm Once you do it a few more times, you sort of accept what you have. Because they were lovely doctors. They just yeah. like didn't give me what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. That's what I found. But I do think there are lots of areas of... Um, medicine that like I've seen that can be like even I was thinking um, like even well-being wise for me there's lots of these vitamin um, things online and stuff like that but as a business person tailoring a health plan to me I would pay mm-hmm. like you know 500 maybe even thousand pounds a month if you're going to be able to you know make me perform better mm-hmm. and make mm-hmm. me feel healthier and also come to me because the problem I find is Going to the doctor mm, mm. is the challenge. Finding the time amongst the schedule to do it. 
removing that friction mm. from medicine mm. in some way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely that's the movement now in, in healthcare where healthcare comes to you rather you going to the healthcare mm. and um, making it as seamless as possible. Yeah, um, but you know it's got to be sustainable environmentally yeah. sustainable and that's like a massive thing now yeah because all these equipment that we have around us how much of this is uh, can be reused again yeah and is that happening in the medical field like, no no not enough no 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 none of none of that is happening and the focus is on trying to just get you to buy more stuff I guess more, yeah yeah more de- regularly definitely yeah definitely. but it's driven by insurance companies yeah so it's not driven by Doctors and healthcare. Yeah. So it's driven by premiums. Yeah. And profit. Yeah. And do you think the the healthcare side of things are going to move private now? Do you think like you yeah, know, there's, I mean, there's the risk of the NHS with Brexit and yes, I do actually, I do. Um, but that's for a different discussion. I mean, yeah. that's you know that's for another sort of probably live feed. Um, you know, how can we get entrepreneurship involved in uh, a much more sustainable and seamless healthcare provision. Um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, and um, I like to ask this question: If you were to sort of reset the button and reset your life, yeah, and you're you know just about to um, embark on a uh, um, a career in business, yeah, what were what are your three top tips to yourself? So, firstly, I'd like to say that when I turned thirty-five this year. I actually felt quite depressed in a way because I was like, holy crap, like I'm five away from 40. <laughs> and you know, when you're below 35, you don't even think about that. Like it's a big Mate, turning. I'm going to be 45 now. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking Sorry. about? <laughs> so, but my chairman, who's my mentor and my, you know, my you know, business partner, he sent me this um, TED talk about... Um, entrepreneurs and they've mapped success of entrepreneurs with age and actually the the mean the median age is 43 or 44 uh, as in the most successful entrepreneurs and actually this whole myth around entrepreneurship as a young person's game is bs it's total bs um when you get older you make decisions in a different way you know like life experiences um, life generally, kids, you know, you've got all that out of the way. Um, so I believe my best years are coming now. Um, and I think, you know, for anyone, like whatever age it is, like you can start, man. Like it's so important to just get going. Identify the area that you want to focus on. So you tell yourself it's never too late. Never too late. Never too late. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, build an amazing network within that area seek advice from people get that free advice you know build friendships you know don't just build business relationships get people to buy into you in the journey you don't want those relationships where you're having to pay someone you know for a meeting and all that kind of stuff um build that network you know that will take time you just got to start putting content out there speaking to people find people who are just like so willing to share and you know spread love and um and yes there will be the the idiots that don't want to do that those are people you want to stay away from so number two build an amazing network in whatever field you're looking to to focus on number three get your customer and your business model right um you know really focus on that before you spend a penny prototype it 
um, you know, show people it, put it on a piece of paper, meet 100 people, 50 people, um, you know, for click, we've been in beta for the last three months, you know, just trialing, prototyping our, um, our business model and our servicing and actually like we've been able to iron out so many of the challenges and um, so that, you know, that's number three. Um, Keep testing. Sorry? Keep testing. Keep testing. Keep testing. And that testing never stops, man. Yeah. And number four, just you've got to be all in and focused. Um, I think, you know, it, it's very challenging to do more than one or two things at once. Yeah. And just don't spread yourself too thin. Keep yourself laser-like focused on what you're doing. And, you know... You don't need to work all the hours. If you're working all the hours, you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah. You have to give yourself that balance of life and work. And Get yourself a partner. They'll definitely stop you from Yeah, working. exactly. It's true, man. It's true. Yeah. I said it's been absolutely lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed speaking to Assad. He's a really, really fun guy to be with. And he's really enthusiastic and the energy that he gave off while speaking to him was just immense. And he's a really cool guy and an interesting fashion sense as well. So, I mean, when you do meet the guy, you definitely uh, sense that uh, certain unique style of fashion and, and really, really interesting. He's really active on social media. Please connect with him. Uh, and he's a great guy to share your journey with and his journey with you. Um, so entrepreneurship is a um, old person's game. So um, I'm looking forward to my entrepreneur journey and I hope you will too. Um, thank you for listening. This is uh, uh, Dr. Haidel Al-Hakim on the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I've been your host. Uh, and until next time, let's keep our third eyes open. Thank you. Thank you.